You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Jordan Metzl. I'm a sports medicine physician at Hospital for Special Surgery in New York City. We're really pleased to be joined today by Dr. John Kennedy, who works at Hospital for Special Surgery. John is an orthopedic surgeon and a specialist in foot and ankle problems. And it's our pleasure to have him on today to talk about issues related to foot and ankle and particularly related to sports. John, welcome to the show. Many thanks. Thanks for having me along. All right. So fall sports, very busy time of year in sports medicine. It's the busiest time of year. And as somebody who specializes in ankle and ankle and foot problems, what are some of the most common things you see this time of year? You know, the most common thing we see at this point is is really ankle injuries, you know, the, the twisting injury that traditionally we were told to ice, rest, elevate, and so forth. And now we're knowing that this, this particular injury requires a little bit more than that. On the side of your ankle, you have two main ligaments which are supporting that ankle. And of course, when you go over on the ankle, they, they can tear, they can stretch. Just rehabbing those at, at home is, is just not good enough because what happens is that you lose the balance and proprioceptive ability of your foot to know where it is in space. So when you go back out again onto the turf, and you, you'll just simply twist it again. And then you end up in this sort of chronic ankle sprain territory. So what we recommend is that if you do have an ankle sprain, that you get along to your physical therapist and you start this balance and proprioceptive training. And that really will get your ankle stronger than it ever was. Yeah, it's a, it's a really common issue. And certainly ankle sprains are among the most common things that we see. Do you have any sense, John, of why this kind of loss of proprioception is really interesting, meaning kind of where your body is in time and space? And it, it seems to be somewhat specific to the ankle. So I think when we have patients that have different kinds of injuries, they don't seem to lose nearly as much proprioceptive ability as they do when they sprain their ankle, which seems, relatively speaking, a pretty minor injury. But this kind of loss of proprioception is really intriguing. Any sense as to kind of why that happens? Yeah, absolutely. There's um, little receptors, little nerve receptors, both in the ligaments themselves and in the capsule of the joint. And even though it is a relatively minor injury to those nerve receptors, it's major because they just get stretched and damaged. And the little feedback loops that we have as we go over on our ankle joint, these receptors are activated. They send a feedback to the perineal tendons to strengthen or to straighten up our subtalar joint and ankle joint. Now, any sort of loss or stretch of those will result, obviously, in, in this loss of balance and proprioception. And the great thing is that it's, it's not something that is a permanent loss. It's so easy to get that back with training. What we tell every athlete, whether they be an NFL player or whether it be just a, a routine weekend warrior, that when you get back training, one of the things you should do is just simple things. When you're brushing your teeth in the morning, instead of looking at yourself and feeling sorry that you've got to go to work, stand on one leg. It's, it's a very simple thing. You stand on one leg for a minute, then you stand on the other leg for a minute, finish your teeth, and off you go. And that in of itself will activate those proprioceptors and get you back in training. Is it the ankle joint specifically with these proprioceptive fibers? And is it kind of the ATFL, the front ligament in the ankle? Do all ligaments have the same? Or do all joints have the same proprioception? You just kind of use the ankle the most to walk around on? The foot obviously is just a very specialized implement because we're, we're moving all these joints constantly to try and maintain our balance as we go over uneven ground. Whereas larger joints like the knee and the, and the hip don't have to have that much sensory feedback. So there is more sensory feedback in there to begin with and then consequently any loss of that causes a greater disruption to normal balance. But it's not just the ankle joint as you know the subtalar joint is involved in this too and that's in fact where there's probably more of these receptors within that joint than there is truly within the ankle joint itself. But again, I think we don't know enough about it. We do know that it's Mike Freeman back in 1965 in London was the first person to come up with this, what's the, what he coined functional stability. This is where your ligaments are in fact intact, but this proprioceptive feedback is lost. 
and as functional instability was sort of lost for many years in the rehab world and in the orthopedic world, and really in the last few years coming out of Europe and now out of North America is becoming in vogue again. But it was something we knew back, back in the 60s. But again, for the rehabbing athlete, whether it be the weekend warrior or the NFL guy, this is absolutely key because 97% of these injuries will get better without surgery. Is it your sense, John, that most people are doing this the right way now? So obviously we both see a number of athletes with ankle injuries in our practices, but is it your sense that most people are doing this the right way? No, and that's probably why you and I see a lot of people because... Again, most of us have been told by our mothers and grandmothers just to suck it up when you had an ankle sprain when you were young. And, and that information has been passed on and on and on. And that's what's leading to the chronic injuries. And, and it's not just the chronic ankle sprains. Those can lead on to osteochondral injuries and eventually to arthrosis within the joint. So it's not. It's a message we're trying to get out more and more. Certainly the therapists are getting it out. And you know, hopefully the hospitals and, and those of us who are working on it are getting that message out. But the people have to come in to ask first. And, and again, it's the simple ankle sprains that are ignored. And I don't think there is such a thing as a simple ankle sprain. And now that we're doing many more sort of advanced diagnostic radiological studies, we're seeing that there really isn't just a simple ankle sprain. The damage that that does, not just to the ligaments, but to the cartilage in terms of bruising and so forth, is extraordinary. And if you think about what happens to create this inversion injury, it's about five times your body weight going through the joint at any given time when you're walking. And when you this inversion injury will multiply that by two or three times. So the force per unit area of a very small joint in the, t- in the tail is the size of a large postage stamp is enormous. So the destructive forces there are, are great indeed. So I think we have to get away from the same thing. It's just a simple sprain. There's nothing simple about it. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157. I'm your host, Dr. Jordan Metzel, and our guest today is Dr. John Kennedy, orthopedic surgeon at Hospital for Special Surgery and Foot and Ankle Specialist. So we're talking now about this ankle sprain patient that comes in and what has looked in the past like just kind of a simple ankle sprain may not necessarily be the case. John, then talk to us about you have a patient, they've come in, and they're kind of what we call a repeat offender. They've had not one ankle sprain, but they've had several. They've rolled over on it five, six times. Every time they get involved in a heavy sports season, they seem to roll their ankle. When do you start thinking about looking for the next step? And and the other part of that question is, in the old days, we had stress x-rays, which would kind of functionally open up the joint and see how much laxity there was. What are we doing to diagnose the problem of the chronically unstable ankle, and how do we deal with that? Always these things go back to basics. The first thing is, talk to the patient. Is it a true mechanical instability? In other words, are they truly rolling over on their ankle or is it a perception of instability? And they're very different. And again, it it comes back to this mechanical instability or functional instability. So we have to decide what what they have. Just talk to us about that for a second before we go on, this kind of mechanical versus functional. How would you just look at that in your office and, and differentiate between the two? put your hands on the patient, you do a varus and valgus stress. In other words, if they're opening up by comparison to the other side, in other words, if their lateral ligaments are lax, that's true mechanical instability. Or if you do an anterior drawer test, now again, the books have been sort of a little bit leading us astray on this anterior drawer test. If you think of what we're trying to achieve, we're trying to pull the talus forward on the tibia to show that there's weakness or an instability on one side. But of course, the deltoid ligament is huge. It's fan-shaped, it's huge, and it's very stable. So even if you have a, an anterior or an ATFL that's torn, and you try to do a, a standard anterior drawer test with an intact deltoid, you really won't get a very good end result. So what you actually do is just internally rotate the ankle a little bit and use the pivot around the deltoid and do an anterior drawer test then. And then you'll certainly see the luxation of the talus on the tibia. 
and that's a positive sign. In addition to that, that's, that's all mechanical instability. That's demonstrating that the lateral ligaments are not intact or not stable. By comparison, if you get the patient then to do this modified Romberg test where they, where they stand on one leg with their hands out in front of them, they close their eyes or open, it's, it's modified so you don't have to close their eyes necessarily, and they start to titubate or to go to back and forth. That's a typical sign of functional instability. In other words, those proprioceptors are not in a phase. You're getting this out-of-phase muscle firing. And they're not mutually exclusive. In other words, you can have functional instability in the presence of mechanical instability but they can also be mechanically stable and functionally unstable. So that's how we differentiate them in the office. The next thing we do is we can certainly do the stress test. The problem is that you can imagine that all orthopedists are of a little bit different strength. So if I start wailing on somebody's ankle in an x-ray exam, I'm sure I can get it to open up. If I do it at a different intensity, it may not open up. So there wasn't a great standardization in terms of the stress test that you did. And it's also difficult to do with the lead gloves and so forth. So we're moving a little bit away from that. There is a standardized jig or device that can be used in the radiology department. But again, it requires setup time and it's not always um, that accurate. So we very oftentimes now, in the presence of a chronic instability, where we're suspecting that also that instability may have caused chondral damage, we'll send the patient uh, straight to MRI and our rule even is a plain x-ray. An MRI will show us with great detail what's going on with the lateral ligaments and, as I said, more importantly, the degree of injury. In other words, whether there's anything left there, what's going on with the perineal retinaculum, which can be as a response to time it can be torn, and more importantly, in terms of the long-term outcome, look at the cartilage because that's really where these chronic offenders, that's where they damage. It is chronically abutting the two cartilage surfaces causes injury to, to the cartilage and underlying bone. It sounds like MRI really has changed the playing field in terms of how we obviously image these. What you say, and I, I want to reiterate what you say because I think you're absolutely right, that the basics are tremendously important, meaning that the history and physical examination are so tremendously important with evaluation that without a good physical exam and history, you can start heading down the wrong path. But as you correctly say, MRI has been tremendously helpful towards imaging and looking for cartilage lesions, particularly, as well as assessing the state of the ankle. So let's now say that we have somebody who's rolled over on their ankle multiple times. They have a very loose ankle on exam with the anterior drawer and tailored tilt testing. They have some muscular weakness, and they have had some articular cartilage injury on their MRI, some signal not a full-blown osteochondral injury, but they're certainly heading in that direction. And this may be somebody now that you want to start talking about fixing them. Tell us what's happening in that realm with kind of the surgical treatment of the unstable ankle, and have we made any progress with that? We have. Again, it's, it's sort of an evolution. There were two broad types of techniques. One was the anatomic reconstruction, where we use, known as the brostrum, and then that was modified using the extensor retinaculum to reinforce it by ghouls, known therefore as the brostrum-ghoul procedure. And that's a great procedure. Effectively, it's placating the ATFL and the CFL and, and reinforcing it. And outcome studies from that are tremendous. The check rein procedure then is turning into somewhat of an anachronism that we're not really using it anymore. And the reason for that is we, in the check rein, we use the perineus brevis or part of the perineus longus. And we root it through the fibula into the calcaneus and into the talus and hold it there with biotin adhesive screws. The modulus of elasticity is different in a tendon than it is in a ligament, and so therefore we were sometimes guilty of either over-tightening or putting it in somewhat too loose. And because it wasn't anatomic, it was difficult to get the exact point at which to fix it into bone. So if you put it in too tight, of course, you're getting overloading of the posterior facet of the subtalar joint, and that causes early arthritis and pain and so forth. So we've moved away a little bit from that procedure and are really concentrating now on the Brostrom Gould. 
it's a great procedure. It's relatively simple with a relatively quick recovery time. Where we do use the check rein procedures is in, let's say, a 300-pound NFL lineman, somebody who has just an enormous loading where the reconstructed ligaments are not going to be good enough. Terrific. Well, John, we really appreciate you joining us and talking about issues related to ankle problems in sports medicine. You did a terrific job. Jordan, it's an absolute pleasure. Many, many thanks. I'm Dr. Jordan Metzl. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM-157. Thank you for listening. This ReachMD program is featured on Sermo, a free online community exclusively for physicians. To discuss this program with your colleagues, visit www.sermo.com. That's S-E-R-M-O dot com. When you join, enter ReachMD in the promotion box to receive a $15 Amazon gift card.